The three most effective ways to waste time in the gym. Time is money. Money is scarce these days everywhere except Washington, D.C. You want to be stronger. So you go to the gym. The best use of your time there is the simple progressive barbell training program we have discussed before, one that drives an upward strength adaptation with a programmed increase in load over a full range of motion using as much of your muscle mass as possible. This approach allows you to lift a gradually increasing amount of weight, thus making you stronger. Stronger means only one thing, that you can apply more force with your muscles. The process of getting stronger improves the capacity of every aspect of your physical existence. So getting stronger in the gym is the best reason to go there. But it is incredibly easy to waste precious time once you're inside the gym. Here are the top three. Number one, stretching. Long regarded as the first thing you should always do inside the gym. Stretching, for most people, and by most people I mean you probably, is not only unnecessary, it may be counterproductive. What a way to start an essay, huh? The most fashionable aspect of modern fitness is the newly rechristened mobility. Same thing as flexibility, except it sounds more Californian. And here I go again, pooping on the most popular thing in the gym. It's a part of every trendy fitness approach in existence, from CrossFit and functional training to Pilates and yoga. In fact, Pilates and yoga are stretching, mobility, flexibility, you know, stretching, and that's about all. It has been assumed by almost everybody for the past 40 years that every workout should begin with the physical preparation known as stretching, which is an attempt to increase the range of motion around a joint, like the knee, hip, ankle, shoulder, elbow, or around a group of joints like the spinal column. The common method is to force the joint into a possession of tolerable discomfort and hold it there for a while, thus hopefully increasing the range of motion. More recent approaches to increased flexibility have used techniques that affect the muscles themselves, which actually control the range of motion around the joints. Massage, active release therapy, foam rolling, and other techniques applied to the muscle bellies themselves are really much more effective for increasing a tight range of motion than stretching. The hip bones connected to the thigh bone, the thigh bones connected to the knee bone, and so forth. So stretching is really all about the muscles anyway. Every operating room professional knows the truth here. Perfect mobility is obtained only under general anesthesia. The assumption is always that your current range of motion needs to be increased. Here are some facts, cheerfully provided without citations, so that you can look them up if you want to. Fact number one, hypermobility is a medical condition, pathology in fact, 
that often involves defects in the proteins that form the ligaments, which are the connective tissues that hook the bones to each other at the joints. The problem with being too flexible is that it results in unstable joints, which can then assume positions they are not anatomically designed to occupy. A subsequently injured joint is not healthy. It is injured. This is not good. And here you are trying to become hypermobile. Second, tendons and ligaments do not, quote, stretch out. You cannot make them longer, and it would not improve their function if you could. Their function is to transmit force, like a chain or a cable, in the case of tendons, which connect muscles to bones. The force of muscular contraction is transmitted to the bone it's attached to, thus moving the bone. Tendons are indeed elastic a little in that a sudden dynamic load causes a very small temporary change in length and a subsequent rebound seen typically in the, the uh, for example, the Achilles tendon complex. But during normal muscular contraction, if the tendon changed its length, then not all of the force would move the bone. Some would be lost as the tendon stretched. Just like a short piece of chain, a tendon pulls the bone with all the force of the connect, uh, contracting muscle because it does not stretch during the contraction. Ligaments behave likewise. They anchor the joint as it moves so that the bones which articulate at the joint change their relationship only with respect to their angle. This allows the joint to serve as a fulcrum in a system of levers. When ligaments move enough to allow the joint to change from its normal interarticular arrangement, it is said to be dislocated. You've heard of that, right? When tendons and ligaments are stretched excessively, they rupture and you're injured. More importantly, you cannot change the length of either a tendon or a ligament with stretching of any type, massage of any type, or therapy of any type. And why would you want to? Tendons and ligaments are force transmission components. They are very, very tough, and they cannot be permanently lengthened by non-invasive means that do not involve a sharp object. The only connective tissues that you can affect with stretching are the fascias, the thin silver skin stuff that covers the muscle bellies. If they become a problem, usually caused by tiny scars called adhesions that form between them and their underlying muscle or between adjacent fascias, they can be stretched with the previously mentioned forms of therapy, predominantly active release therapy. Third, since neither ligaments nor tendons are designed to stretch, an increase in flexibility primarily involves the muscles that control the position of the skeletal components they operate. Sometimes, but not that often, the muscles behave in a way that requires you to teach them to lengthen more readily. 
And the best way to do this is with the aforementioned full range of motion barbell exercise. Since full range of motion is, by definition, all you need to do, anything beyond that is simply either a waste of time or a counterproductive waste of time. And for stretching does nothing <clears throat> whatsoever, nothing, to prevent soreness, to alleviate soreness, or to improve strength or any other measure of fitness. Nothing. In fact, the vast majority of studies done on stretching not only support this summary, but also indicate that stretching prior to either training or performance produces a significant decrease in power production, explosive contraction. That's right, tighter muscles can contract harder and faster. And this has an obvious application in performance athletics. So the upshot of this is, if you are already flexible, okay, let's say you're mobile, mobile enough to operate efficiently within the range of motion of your required training and performance movements, then you are flexible enough. You are sufficiently mobile, and you don't need to stretch. Now, if you want to, go right ahead and enjoy yourself but you are not using your time in the gym wisely. Next way to waste time is with a lot of warm-up. After you stretch, you know, you get to the gym and you stretch because that's what you're supposed to do, you're supposed to warm up, right? Warm-up is an important part of the preparation for a workout if its function is properly understood and its role in the process is correctly facilitated. But for most people, unless it's cold, and by that I mean cold, you know, where the temperature is low, where you're training, your warm-up is probably excessive and you're wasting your time doing it. The pre-workout warm-up serves two purposes. First, it prepares the tissues for the work. Warm is a specific term. It refers to the temperature of something, a measure of the thermal energy in a system. In this case, that system is you. If it's cold for your training, then you're probably cold too, and you will need to devote enough time to some general movement to elevate the temperature of the tissues, the muscles and joints that you're going to use in the workout. A stationary bike, a rower, a treadmill, or short run around the building, or around a block can do the trick. This is not always necessary because sometimes you're already warm. If your workout is being done, for instance, in August in North Texas in an unair conditioned building, or anywhere in Houston 10 months of the year, because it is effectively impossible to air condition a building in Houston, you're already warm. If you're already warm, this aspect of the warm-up has been conveniently taken care of already. If not, the question becomes, how long do I need to spend getting warm? And the answer is, probably not as long as you think. Most people can spend two to three minutes on a rower or a stationary bike and get warm enough to train. If you're spending 20 minutes 
doing any repetitive movement before you get out of the bar, you're spending about two minutes warming up and about 18 minutes wasting time, as well as energy that could be more productively used to lift the weights and get stronger. Strength training and conditioning are two completely separate activities, and they must be kept separate if either is to improve effectively. The second function of warm-up is to prepare the movement pattern you are about to perform. Barbell training is movement pattern training. It is not about the constituent muscle groups that cause the movement to occur. It is about the movement pattern of the system as a whole itself. When we squat, we don't do quads. We just squat. And quads get done, along with everything else below the bar on the shoulders. The emphasis in the squat is the correct execution of the movement pattern with an increasingly heavy weight. And this requires that the movement pattern be practiced before it is loaded to a heavier than the last workout weight. Warm-up is this practice. And it is obviously best done as the weight increases. So you start with the empty bar, do a few sets with that, add weight gradually, doing fewer reps as you approach your new, heavier, work set weight, taking as much time as you need between sets to rest from the previous set. If you do this, you have effectively prepared the movement pattern. You have prepared the muscles because they are now warmer, as well as the nervous system that controls the muscles for the movement you are about to execute with the new, heavier weight. Most importantly, the preparation has incorporated everything it needs to include for an effective execution of the work to be done without getting fatigued. The purpose of warm-up is to prepare and it is valuable because it gets you ready to improve. But the warm-up itself does not produce the improvement. If it also produces fatigue, then its purpose has been compromised. If the warm-up is excessive, you are not only wasting time, you are subtracting from your work capacity. And the third way to waste time is the failure to progress with your programming. Throughout my career in the fitness industry, I've heard the following phrase repeated ad infinitum, ad nauseum. Quote, I think I'll just stop here at 90 pounds until it gets easier and then go up. This excuse and that's precisely what it is, is a lame-ass excuse to not do something perceived as harder. And it has wasted more time after stretching and warm-up than any other single lame-ass excuse ever uttered in the gym. Folks, listen carefully. 90 will be easy when 135 is hard and not before then. And the way you get from 90 to 135 is to do 95, then 100, then 105, 
and then 110, and then 115, and then 120, 125, 130, and finally 135, adding five pounds per workout. The process of going from 90 to 135 is what we call training. And staying at 90 is not training. It is merely fooling around in the gym. You have to understand that. If you cannot make yourself load 95 next time and move it in the required manner, you are not going to get stronger. And if you don't get stronger than 90, 90 won't ever be easier. Ever. Why would it be? How would it get that way? And why should it? Stronger is simple. Stronger means you're moving heavier weight. When your training has taken you to 135, 90 will be perceived as easy. And this process requires that you gradually make the adaptation occur. Make the adaptation occur. Five pounds is pretty gradual. But in your particular circumstances, one or two pounds might be necessary. Whatever the increments you find necessary, they must be added on a regular basis. And for 99% of you, this means every single workout, you add weight. If you don't go up, you won't get stronger. And on a strength program, if you're not getting stronger, you're not doing a strength program. You're wasting time. So let's stop being less than productive and learn to embrace efficiency and brevity. If you don't need to stretch, don't stretch. It doesn't accomplish anything and it wastes time. If you don't need to get warmer than you already are, just do the part of the warm-up that actually accomplishes something. The part that you were going to do anyway, under the bar. The part that makes the heavier weight you're using today possible. The heavier weight is the part you want anyway the aspect of the workout that makes it training. And all the stretching and warm-up in the whole entire universe cannot accomplish what that five extra pounds can do over time.